Welcome back to a Clubfoot Mom podcast. I am your host and fellow Clubfoot Mom, Maureen Hoff. Today's episode is a first for me and for the podcast because I get a chance to interview a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. If you're new here and haven't learned about the Ponsetti method and the role that the surgeon plays in treatment, I'm going to give you just like literally a tiny piece of background before I introduce my guest. So the Ponsetti method, while it is a non-surgical method, is performed by a pediatric orthopedic surgeon and their team of medical professionals. That means the surgeon is responsible for the correction of the foot, performing the gentle manipulation, stretching of the foot, and then the serial casting. The orthopedic surgeon is also responsible for performing the tenotomy, which is the heel lengthening, if one is necessary for your child. Dr. Ponsetti himself was a pediatric orthopedic surgeon and trained many of the surgeons who are still performing his method today. Now that you have a very, very basic understanding of the role the surgeon plays in clubfoot treatment, please let me introduce my guest today, Dr. Maurice Bouchard. She is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. She's assistant professor at Department of Surgery at the University of Toronto and associate program director at the Orthopedic Surgery Residency Program. Dr. Bouchard and I were introduced recently at a conference that I was attending as a parent educator for MD Orthopedics. I'm so grateful that she has agreed to be a guest on the podcast, and I'm really excited to record the episode today for you guys to hear. So let me welcome Dr. Bouchard. Hi, Dr. Bouchard. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks for being here. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here and to get to do podcast on club feet. It's not every day. I know it's, it's exciting to have you and to have, you're my first, like you're my first surgeon and definitely like, yeah, I think even the first like real medical professional. So it's exciting. So thank you so much for being here and being willing to talk to all the parents out there and anybody who's listening. For sure. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Well, let's just start. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and like the current positions that you're doing now? Sure. Um, so, um, within orthopedic surgery, there's a lot of different specialties that you can specialize in. So, um, in fact, the first thing I had picked, um, when I was training was adult foot and ankle surgery. Um, but I always knew that I kind of wanted a perspective of more the, the young adult to old adult or teenager to older adult, um, perspective. I, I liked the idea of, um, taking care of things that start in childhood and, um, still might cause mm-hmm. issues in adulthood. But then, um, in my very last year, I was spending time at the hospital that I now work at. And, um, it became pretty clear to me that I was a much, um, happier, fulfilled person working in a children's hospital than I was in the adult world. And so I decided to do a second um, training in pediatric orthopedics, so orthopedics for kids. Um, and I ended up going to Seattle where um, my mentor and a very well-known clubfoot um, surgeon, Vince Mosca, uh, worked. And so um, I 
thought, okay, well, maybe I can do kid and adult foot. Um, but it became really clear. I much preferred living in the kid world. Um, I did a little extra training and um, other limb deformity correction and, and special surgeries with um, kind of wacky implants. And then ultimately started my practice in Seattle. Um, I was there for three and a half years and then moved back home to Canada where I'm from. So I've been back at, um, as we call it, Sick Kids uh, Hospital in Toronto for uh, three years now. Wow. So I know you said a little bit about like wanting to work with the kids, but why clubfoot? Like, what is it about clubfoot that made you want to focus on it and to have it be a part of your practice? Um, you know, to be, to be honest, when I started, I, 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 I always knew I liked clubfoot when I was training here as a resident, um, my current partner, who's a, a specially trained physical therapist, who's only been doing clubfoot for like 15 or 16 years now, she had actually started to train me in casting when I was a resident. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't like, I, I always thought it was super interesting. Um, I loved being able to sort of watch your progress as you helped these kids and these feet over time. Um, but I didn't, at the time I was still sort of thinking, oh, I'll work with adults or teenagers. And it, it didn't really, um, clue in that it would be the beginning of my part of my big part of my practice down the road. Um, and then when I was in Seattle, uh, again, I got to see a lot of different club feet, um, and, um, and when I started work there, they really just needed a lot of help in club feet. The volumes were big. So it was sort of like, I, I sort of got told here's part of your practice, but it was very clear to me for a couple of reasons why it was something I would always keep in my practice. And, um, in, in Seattle, the casting for the most part was done by Dr. Mosca and myself. We had a couple, um, non-operative physicians who did some casting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did the bulk and we did all the tenotomies. But what I loved there, my practice was pretty much all the new babies and mostly um, idiopathic feet, meaning not, you know, club feet not associated with other conditions. And, and what I really loved and what was really hard when I switched jobs was at this point, you've, you've met families from the day they have their brand new baby and you're with them and seeing them regularly through their entire growth. So you watch these little munchkins come in and then they grow up and they're like doing little person stuff and you've been a part of their life the whole time. And that's so wow. special. Um, and so when I switched jobs, it was actually like leaving my clubfoot families was one of the hardest for sure. Um, I still am in touch with a lot of them actually. Um, yeah. and then, um, uh, but the other thing, the one sort of part of my career that I didn't really mention before is I do a lot of global outreach work and okay. clubfoot is an incredibly, um, necessary aspect of like pediatric orthopedics and outreach because not um, as much as the Ponsetti method is pretty low resource, meaning you don't, you don't need an operating room for the most part to treat it. You just need some plaster. Um, It's pretty easy to teach. Um, But that said, it's the access to care is still really limited in a lot of parts of the world. So I, in, in the organizations that I'm involved with when I'm volunteering abroad, clubfoot's always something that we can go, we can teach, we can do, you know, the few times we need to do surgeries. It's something really applicable. Those skills have served me well all over the world, not just at home. So I think that's another really special part about clubfoot. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's just, um, yeah, I love the patients. I like, I like that it's challenging. I love that it's something I can do and I can help people anywhere. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. That is the really cool part about um, 
the Ponseti method in general. It's I'm interested to hear because as a surgeon, you probably go in thinking you're going to be doing surgery. And then with a lot of the clubfoot kids, you're not doing surgery, right? You're doing a different method that's really non-surgical. And so is that a shift for you? Like with not having it be a surgical, an actual full-blown surgery, and it's more of this kind of long evolved process? Well, yes and no. I mean, I started training in the Ponseti era. I think mm. there's a huge shift for those people who um, trained um, like Dr. Mosca did. Um, when he trained at the hospital I'm uh-huh. at, actually like he um, just did club foot surgery after club foot surgery. And that's why he chose club foot. He loved the surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second he realized there was a better option and it mm-hmm. was non-surgical, he switched, you know, even though he loved the surgery, he switched like it, you yeah. should do the right thing. So yeah. I didn't go through personally that, um, kind of culture change around it. So I, I've never really thought of club foot as like a, a surgical mm-hmm. necessity per se. Um, that, but, and, and in pediatric orthopedics, we're probably the subspecialty that's the least surgical. Okay. We do like, even in trauma, there's mm-hmm. so many things with growing kids, you can get away with in a cast, but in an adult, you would need to do surgery. So we're already kind of the people who are gotcha. the least apt to just jump on a surgical option. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, now my practice here is quite different because we have two PTs who are trained in club foot. The bulk of the kind of um, idiopathic, mm-hmm. straightforward casting goes to them. So my practice of clubfoot now is really like um, all the like any relapse, any mm-hmm. syndromic feet, the neglected feet of families that are moving here from all sorts of places around the world that didn't have care or didn't have full grown care. Mm-hmm. Um, so my practice actually in clubfoot at, at the moment is fairly surgical, but not in the babies. Like it's in the sort of you know eight to 18 year olds who have residual deformity that need something that casting um, sometimes works, but not always. So I would say it's almost part of what I love about what I do now is I have all the really complicated feet in my practice and I always have to be creative and think about it and balance the pros and cons of surgery. And I don't do surgery the way they did 30 years ago. I'm not just cutting all sorts of things. It's really, really um, patient specific and as minimal as I can get away with. Mm -hmm. Um, But but there is still a need for surgery in yeah. the club world. It's just right. not the way that it was before. And so my practice is probably really quite different from a lot of other people in North America, because I'm mostly dealing with sort of the, the complicated cases right. now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. It's, it's interesting. Cause I do think there are those, um, it's interesting with the Ponsetti method because I do think that there are lots, it seems very straightforward, right? Like it's something that is teachable. It's something that you can um, take, like you said, globally and expand it because it's not this big surgery. But at the same time as parents and as I talk more with people in the clubfoot community, there is a lot of, um, it's not like straightforward a lot of the time. There is, it can, things can go wrong and it can get complicated. And if you don't have experience and practice doing it, um, it isn't something that you can just kind of learn on the fly and be like, okay, without there being sometimes residual effects from that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true in medicine, like for everything. Um, I think that's why they sort of call it a 
a practice of yeah. medicine. Like there's always things to learn. And um, yeah, I remember, you know, when I first started, I, I was very thankful to have Dr. Mosca around because I would be like, I think this foot's ready for tenotomy. Do you agree? You know, yeah. just to have someone else go, yeah, I've seen 500 of these, you've yeah. seen 50. Or, you know, if, mm-hmm. if things weren't going as planned, I would say my plan, I'm going to take a break. I just want to, you know, give this foot a rest. Do you agree? You know, and, and, and I, I agree with you. I think that's one of the things that's growing a bit and maybe COVID has helped us all is we're becoming a little better at connecting virtually. And so um, there's, I feel like there's a lot more um, global discussion through virtual methods now where we can share cases, we can talk about things. Um, So even if you don't work with someone as I did when I started to practice that I could ask questions to, there are so many more options now for doctors to to chit chat when cases aren't going as well. So I have a, a bunch of different WhatsApp groups where people ask for advice now and then. And, and I think that's great because I think in medicine, you're uh, one of the really famous also clubfoot surgeons, Dr. Hertzenberg has this like saying that I love that in pediatric orthopedics, it's like a stamp collection. You've got like one of these, two of those, one of these, three of these, like you're never seeing like a total joint replacement surgeon, 500 of the same case every year. Like everything is different. There's always variability. This is a clubfoot that presented late. This is a clubfoot with a syndrome. This is a clubfoot with four toes, right? Like it's always different. So you need to be I think, you know, very, um, like take each case as unique as it is and mm-hmm. you're applying the Ponsetti principles, but sometimes you do have to alter a little bit for that patient or that foot or that family. And it's learning how to recognize those patterns. It certainly takes experience, but we can always ask questions to each other because yeah. some things really are rare. And if you see I it more than that. twice in your career, you know, you'd be lucky. Um, so sometimes we do have to ask questions and it's totally normal because pediatric yeah. orthopedics is just such an array of mm. weird and wonderful things sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I really love that because I think that collaboration is such an important aspect with other doctors. And if you have questions to be able to reach out to that community and not feel like as a parent, it was really important for me to know that like, if you ran into something that is rare, right, or that is different than what is outside of your normal scope of treatment, then you have kind of a basis of people that you can go, hey, what is, what do you think about this? Or how do you look at this? Because, um, I mean, as parents, we're all learning, like, we have no frame of reference of what um, treatment is going to be like. And so, we're really trusting the professionals to be able to tell us what is happening. And if there is an issue being able to reach out and go, Hey, I'm going to ask somebody else about this. Or, you know, I think that that part is so vital. Yeah. I mean, I think I I would say that sometimes I've had parents react, maybe not as positively to that. You know, if I, if I've said, you know what, I, I haven't seen this. I'm going to run it over with a couple of people. So I think sometimes the response is, what do you mean you haven't seen it? How could no. you not have seen it? Like, and you yeah. get that like loss of trust. So I've learned over time, mm-hmm. there's certainly, I can gauge a little bit. Each foot is so different and it's often, and not the fault of anyone. It's not the fault of the parent. It's not the fault of the physician. It's just all the, these feet all have different tissue and they all have right. different responses. Yeah. And, um, and you need to 
And sometimes things happen that just aren't super common and you need to, you know, just make sure that what you think is the best approach is what other people do. And sometimes it's even tips and tricks of like, when you have families running into trouble with bracing, like mm-hmm. I know our spiel of what we give, but I learn from my colleagues at every conference of like other tricks and other things they mm-hmm. say. And, you know, at this point, I'm still fairly early in my career at, at six years. Um, actually, that's not true. Seven years almost. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still pretty early, but I'm always happy to go and learn more and learn other tricks. And I think, um, I think that's a really important part of practicing medicine in general is just always being receptive to learning more, making sure you're improving, um, and then sharing that knowledge with your families. Right. Well, I do think it sounds like there's a lot of pressure for you guys to know all the answers, to have all of them and to say like, oh yes, I've seen this and have build that confidence. Whereas for me, it was very much like our original casting doctor was like, no, I've, you know, I have experience with everything. And for me, that almost gave me pause because I was like, well, you only do this for like this amount of, you know, small amount of what your cases are. And if you never have to ask questions or refer out, like, I don't know, honestly, that gave me more hesitation than if not, because you're, so I think it's good for parents to hear that and to go just because your doctor is saying like, hey, I'm going to go talk to somebody else and I'm going to get some information. And I, you know, like we're all learning and it's they're being truthful with you about what the experience is and not and they're wanting to treat your kid individually. Right. Yeah. They're not going to lump you in. And that's the piece that sometimes with the Ponsetti method and clubfoot treatment in general. And this is the thing that I've talked to other people about is like this about of like, it feels like it's so generalized and there isn't a lot of individuality in the treatment. And for a lot of us that works, you know, we go on the treatment path and everything is kind of normal. The casting's good. The correction's good. You brace and then everything's good. But there are a lot of cases that don't do that and they need more individual treatment. And when that happens, it's got to be like a collaborative thing that you're working with lots of different people on to create a great treatment plan for your child. Yep, absolutely. Um, I I think that's um, that's one thing that I've kind of always felt with Clubfoot that is um, maybe unique to other situations is, you know, sometimes things take a course in another direction. You put on the fourth cast and the foot's really irritated or swollen. You need to take a break or you've had a couple cast slips. You need to take a break. And again, if you read anything online, you're like, what do you mean? doesn't talk about taking breaks. That doesn't seem right. And so um, it's, it's really like, for me, it's listening to the foot, you know, the foot and the parent and the patient, they all tell me kind of, if we're going, if the standard path is working or if it isn't, Mm -hmm. and I'm very happy to deviate from that when it's necessary. Um, I think one of the things that, um, where I work now that is so, um, wonderful, um, and that allows us to kind of have the time with families and to really, be able to individualize is, um, is working with our physio, um, therapist, um, practitioners because, um, they really like their schedules are booked so much lighter. Um, they have the availability to add patients on emergently, you know, week to week if they need to. Um, and like our little room for clubfoot casting, like has everything has extra bar covers, has extra boots, has mm-hmm. all the different little dressings you would need, um, you know, mobile, like all sorts of things that are much more like clubfoot friendly. And so um, that takes so much pressure off of me because I know if like there's six other kids waiting and they've all been waiting an hour and I'm still with this like 
family that's struggling, I can just ask my colleague Barb to, to come be my, like, you know, my partner here and continue the conversation, even if I have to step out to do other things. And, and, um, or to see them like a week later when I'm like away or I'm in the OR, there's someone who can help me. And that, that I think for Clubfoot, having a team approach is, is like so critical because you really do need to have a support system for the families and to do that as a surgeon with everything else going on in, in your career and your profession. Like, it's just really hard to be, well, for me to be as supportive as I sometimes want to be. Right. Um, by myself it's just it's very hard yeah and I understand that and I think I try to be sensitive to that when I'm saying you know medical teams club foot medical teams and the you know parents need more support and I firmly believe that they need more support they need more resources they need to feel confident and empowered in their ability to care for their child especially long term but there is that other piece of just that doesn't have to fall solely on the shoulders of the surgeon that can be part of what, what does that look like with other medical professionals inside your team? Right. If, if that is a physical therapist, is, is it, um, you know, a, a specific nurse who is a care coordinator that answers all your questions, you know, it's just being uh, creative and open to how do we make sure that we're addressing these needs because parents go into it feeling like, I have 5 million questions and I don't want to bother my doctor, but I also want to be successful. So how do I get my questions answered without feeling like I'm being a burden? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I I mean, I found that in, in all parts of my practice and, and right now where I am, I only have sort of my um, non-surgeon help through my club foot practice. So that's where I feel like the most like <sighs> supported myself as a surgeon. Um, my other parts of my practice, I'm sort of on my own for all that stuff. And it's, uh, I, I would love to have like the equivalent of my club foot, you know, PT, um, for the rest of my practice, because I really do think we are better at providing whole care, um, whole yeah. person care when we can be a team. Um, and it, it's, I think, and again, that was part of my draw to, you know, a kid's hospital was we were a little more ahead of the curve with that mm-hmm. concept than on the adult side, um, mm-hmm. with the exception of certain specialty programs, like, you know, cancer programs and stuff that are so well built and supported, but yeah. the general orthopedic program does not have that. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I think it's a critical part of care delivery and, and part of why like my club foot practice here is one of my favorite parts because I, I have a team and it's yeah. so lovely. That's awesome. Yeah. So what do you think is from your perspective as a surgeon, the most difficult part of treating club foot? Um, I think it's in the small proportion of kids who do have recurrences Mm -hmm. um, or who show up with like neglected or residual deformities. I think that part is the hardest just because we don't have like a Ponsetti manual that says, okay, first try this. And if that doesn't work, do this. And then, you know, so you have to be, you, I mean, I, it's the part that I love the most because it's a bit of um, a detective work and you really have to understand what the deformity is and what that foot is and what its muscle strength is. Um, there's so many aspects to it. Um, you have to set the right goals for the procedure or the, the treatment plan. Um, so I think it's challenging, but that's also just, part of what I love about it. So I, I, I sort of embrace that challenge. Um, but you definitely need to think outside the box a lot. And I think for some people that 
gets a little bit scary when you haven't seen it before. Um, Mm And I think I got maybe sensitized to thinking outside the box pretty quickly when I did my work, um, you know, in remote areas of the world, because you're like their only hope and you're only there for like a week and you're kind of like, okay, I got to figure this out. Um, And so I think that part's challenging. I think the other part is um, knowing, um, you know, the, the parents are going through this treatment process for such a long time. And even after bracing is done, I know they still have questions and anxieties and they're watching the feet like hawks. And, um, and I, I wish that we could somehow be more, more supportive or almost anticipate those anxieties. But I, I think, you know, if I, if I said to someone, when we stop bracing, okay, these are all the things you're probably going to ask me about in the next five years, you're going to be worried about this, this, and this, like, it's just too much, you know, like, I I don't think you can preempt those. I think you just have to be available when those questions come up. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I do wish we had like a better way of, of providing information kind of on the fly. And, and I know there are quite a few initiatives like within our own institution and, and um, even within MD orthopedics, as you mentioned, of kind of creating a better online um, repository of information. And in, in some ways, like I almost would love to envision it as like FAQs and then you get like a really nice evidence-based response um, to that. Um, and even, you know, um, just, we're, we're in an age now where we can make such beautiful educational materials and photos and, um, images. And I think, uh, I think all of those things, they just take time to make, but if we can get those out there and accessible, that would be super helpful. And obviously in multiple languages, because that's the other thing I think sometimes we get really fixed on providing information and care and, you know, a primary language somewhere. And we're, you know, the world has changed. There are people with many different backgrounds and languages and cultures, and we're not particularly good yet at adapting um, to those cultural needs. So I think that's another really big challenge that that is going to be um, an important one to, to deal with in the next little while. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. <laughs> um, where do you think like, where do you see clubfoot treatment advancing? Like, do you have any idea that you think, okay, well, because at this point there is this kind of very, like the Ponsetti method from birth until five is pretty clear cut, right? But as a parent, sometimes I feel like it's the biggest birth defect. And there, it doesn't seem to be a lot of like, research and things going into when can you stop racing? When can a kid stop racing versus another kid? When are like, right. And I think that part. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, um, so the, the long-term data in clubfoot that exists right now for the most part is based on back when things were treated surgically. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, those are people who are now adults. We don't have a huge, excuse me, a huge population yet of kids treated with Ponsetti method that are adults. So the long, long long-term outcomes are just starting to come about. The problem is studying those is really hard because the kids are treated in a kid's hospital. And if they're going to present with an issue as an adult, they're not going to go back to their kid's hospital. They're going to go somewhere else. So it's, it's a hard, um, topic to study because, um, you can't access like the treatment information from when they were a child easily. So, um, 
I think the exactly as you mentioned, what will be coming to light in the next little while, and which is a big part of what my research is about, is understanding better, you know, what are the risk factors that predispose someone to being more prone to relapse? What are the factors that might make someone more at risk for needing surgery? What are, um, uh, you know, what are the best, you know, surgical procedures that we can add when we need to fine tune a foot, for example. Um, and we, um, the way I've set up my practice here, I have a clubfoot registry and, um, I actually have permission to keep asking what we call, um, surveys for patient reported outcome measures. So they're questions about function, pain, shoe wear, um, and follow our kids into adulthood. So in other words, like we have permission and consent to keep emailing them surveys every five years when they're adults to keep tabs on some of these things. Um, so a couple of like my papers in the work now are some looking at, you know, um, factors for re relapse or factors for surgery, um, impacts of even um, geography, like how far you travel to get treatment and that impact. Um, Others are like impact of a leg length discrepancy on outcomes of clubfoot. Um, so we have a lot of those like questions that you guys have as parents, um, you know, we're with my registry now, which has almost a thousand kids, like we're able to more easily answer a lot of those questions. Um, and my registry doesn't just have my patients, it has patients from other surgeons too. So it's not just like a one person's practice and right. way of thinking. Um, so we're we're really like, I think the community in, in Clubfoot is starting to really ask those difficult questions. Um, I think other areas of, you know, innovation are going to be in like optimal braces, you know, can we change the model of the brace? Is there a better way to do it? Um, and, um, and again, I, you know, surgical outcomes in a Ponsetti era foot haven't really been looked at. Like we know sometimes you need to do an extra tenotomy or lengthen Achilles tendon, but we don't know really like, okay. And is that it? Or could they relapse again? We don't, we don't know. Is it better to do that when they're four or better to wait till they're eight? You know, like we don't know. So, um, those are a lot of the questions that I've been looking at in my research and, you know, will start to come out, but, um, we've also, um, this over COVID and other COVID project, like everyone has, mm -hmm. um, a few uh, pediatric surgeons from around the world, actually, we've gotten together to start a study group for foot and ankle and children. And of course, the major topics are mostly in club foot. Mm -hmm. um, and we're even doing things like trying to pool consensus, like mm -hmm. um, what's dynamic supination and how should you treat it, which is when the one of the muscles pulls the foot inward a little bit too much. And we know that's super common in club foot, mm -hmm. um, up to like a, a third of kids but we actually don't have like standard definitions and, and surgical algorithms. So um, as a global group, those are questions we're trying to tease out as well. Yeah. Um, so that it's coming, but it, yeah. it's, you know, frankly, the current era of treatment really only started like 30 years ago. So yeah. we're, it, you know, we're still a little bit new as, as much as that sounds. I know. It's, it's, it sounds silly, but the reality is like, I can understand it took so long for people to even adopt the Ponsetti method for people to go, oh yeah. Like, and actually, if you think about how long it took Ponsetti to get people on board and then it's really not that long, but as parents, you're like, okay, what's next? Like, how are we, how are we going to be treated more? I guess for me, individualistically, like how, how, 
what's the likelihood if my daughter has, you know, corrected feet, braces for five years, what's the likelihood that she relapses? And then do I even really have to, was all the bracing worth it if she was just going to relapse anyway? So there's these kind of questions that nobody seems to really be able to give you a definitive answer for, but um, that are kind of floating around. And it sounds like you guys are doing work to try to figure some of that out. And of course, I love the consensus in the community and trying to get everybody together. I think that's really important in clubfoot treatment is trying to be a community, especially like from the parents perspective, like I want to know that people are teaching each other and talking to each other and collaborating. And that is something that I feel is just essential to be able to move research and treatment forward. Yep. Absolutely. No, you're, you're totally right. And that, that's kind of my goal with a lot of this is to do what you said. It's almost like that term precision medicine. Like mm-hmm. I would love that we get to a point where a baby comes in and we do an assessment and we don't just do like the Pirani score, the Demeglio score of severity, but we can say, okay, well you actually have like seven out of these 10 risk factors that would predispose you to relapse. So for you, like bracing is going to be like really critical, you know, mm-hmm. um, whereas someone who has like almost no risk factors, we might be like, well, you're probably a kid we could stop bracing around two or three, for example, because your rate of relapse is, is likely to be very, very small. Um, or if that family has like a rough month, they're moving, things happen and they didn't brace very much. Mm -hmm. You know, I can be like, don't even worry about it. Whereas for another kid, I'll be like, I know it's really hard, but we got to get you in this break. So, um, I, I think that is where it's going. Um, but it, it might take some time because, uh, it's just, um, difficult to study things in what we call a prospective fashion. So going forward, so saying, okay, family A, you're going to do this. Family B, you're going to do this. And we're just going to see what happens. It's really really hard to get um, big numbers of people on board. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a study on bracing um, two versus four years that was done when I was training. And um, they haven't published the final data actually, um, which is a bummer, but I'm really hoping they do. Cause I think it would have proven there were like a subset of kids who did just fine with two years, but some of the kids in the two years who really didn't do fine and trying to tease out who, who's, right. who's who is right. really important. So hopefully yeah. that, that study eventually gets published, but it hasn't been yet. <laughs> More studies like that in the future yeah. you Absolutely. Know, that Absolutely. try to show that. I know we talked a little bit about this, um, about creating more resources for parents, but one of the reasons, like I wrote Clubfoot Chronicles really for parents, like that was the first group, right? Like that was the main audience. But then there was also this like underlying hope um, that it would help a lot of medical professionals who treat Clubfoot have a better understanding of like what parents are actually going through during this like transition to BNB and then this long-term maintenance that they're really responsible for on a daily basis. So how in general, how tuned in do you think into the parents role of clubfoot treatment? Do you think clubfoot treatment teams are like, I know you said that your team is pretty, um, you know, you have a team that you work with that is able to kind of address issues and support the parents. But do because from my perspective, I see a lot of sometimes that gap of like, here's the parents and then there's the medical team and there's kind of a gap in between understanding each other's experiences and being able to communicate. 
Um, but I don't know if you feel the same. Yeah, I do. I, I don't. So, I mean, I think there's a couple of factors that can contri- contribute to it. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, um, you know, we, we have like a distinct clubfoot clinic per se, like it's, it's not distinct in its um, physical space per se in the hospital, right. but you know, we have people um, of our, our nine surgeons, there's two of us who do clubfoot, mm-hmm. there's, you know, two PTs and we have all of our cast technicians, ortho technicians are trained in clubfoot casting and our bracing department, you know, they see everything scoliosis clubfoot, but within that we like, we kind of have a team and we have multiple points of contact for parents. And I would say, because it's been like this since, you know, 2004 or five, you mm-hmm. know, it's quite established and, and we've had very little turnover with our PTs and even some of our surgeons. So there's a lot of experience there. So I think even if you were someone who didn't necessarily ask parents, you know, how are you sleeping? How's it been going? Yeah. You, you've probably learned it along the way, mm-hmm. but um, we are fortunate at our hospital, just like when I was in Seattle, that um, we could um, kind of have our own specialties. We weren't just generalists. So in a lot of hospitals still, um, you're, you might be doing clubfoot, but you might be doing spine surgery. You might be doing hip surgery. And when you have a lots of different specialties, you're probably not seeing clubfoot on a dedicated time or space, yep. probably mm-hmm. like peppered in everywhere in your practice. And I think that although there are definitely surgeons I know who have that and they do an amazing job, but I think that makes it a little bit harder to connect with families because you don't have the same space. And and I also think the families really like coming to the waiting room and seeing other parents with Mm -hmm. club feet in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's true of many conditions, like patients with amputations, for example, like it's so nice for the other kids to be like, what you've got what I have or for the parents to be like, your kid is like really crying. How are you dealing with this? Like, I don't know. Um, and that, that ability to even create a community within the waiting room, I think is really cool. Um, so I, I think it depends on resources and where you are. I mean, if you're in the middle of Montana and you're the only doctor, like, of course, you're going to have a general practice and you're probably not going to be able to like squish the like eight clubfoot kids a month you see to all be there at the same time. Like it's probably not possible. Right. Um, so I think the other part is just on the dedication of the physician or the team working with them mm-hmm. um, to take that time and to recognize that that's a huge part of um, getting good outcomes. It doesn't matter how great your hands are. I mean, it is to a point, but it's not going to, doesn't matter how well the casting and tenotomy went, if you haven't prepared the family well for bracing. And I, I think that's, it's going to be less and less of an issue. I think, um, in the long run, because I, I think, um, the importance of the bracing is becoming more and more um, obvious uh, than it was perhaps in the first decade or so of Ponsetti management, where we didn't, you know, we didn't really know what the risks would be if you stopped racing after two versus three versus five years. And now we are pretty aware. So I think, I think the importance of educating and supporting around bracing has become much more obvious to many people, no matter where they practice or how they practice. But um but yeah, I, I think it's on. It's it's a huge part of the physician being attuned to that, 
building a team, if you can't do it yourself, like you said, even if it's training your, your medical, uh, you know, admin or assistant, like it can be anyone, but just being able to try and find someone who can help you um, be supportive because it really is hard to do everything just alone as a surgeon in, but alone as anyone, like it's hard. It's nice yeah. to have a team. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if that answered your question. No, I think I- it really did. I think you're right. And I do think that that's why this need for these bigger resources, like you're talking about um, for club foot treatment is helpful. And like, that's why I am honestly like do what I do. And one of the big things that I really want to do, like a future goal is to be able to create support groups that are specific for Clubfoot that are done virtually just because of that. So that parents are able to connect with each other because it is so important to create that community and not every doctor, every practice, every group is going to be able to provide that for parents. I remember being in waiting rooms and like seeing kids that were in the cast and they were like, and I'd be like, it's going to, you know, it's like, you just naturally want to reach out to those people and say, okay, this is where we're at. How are you doing? How's it going? You know, like, well, that's part of my personality, but um, I like to connect with people, but I do think that will also take some of the pressure off of the medical team to be able to go like, where else in the Clubfoot community can we then develop resources that we can send people to? Like that surgeons can go, oh, hey, this is a buddy system. So sign up here. I can't give your information because of HIPAA reasons, right? But if you want to sign up here, they'll set you up with somebody that's a one-on-one person that can partner with you and that you can talk to that's been in the same situation as you, that can answer questions, that can, you know, just create support. And so that's why it's like this well-rounded for the whole community. It's not just surgeons are responsible for this and they're lacking that um, ability to support, but it's more of how can we all work together to create it so that it's more comprehensive for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, I I do. You know, we've we've kind of been dreaming about creating a community like that here um, uh, as well. And um, it 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 sounds like it should be so easy, but we run so many roadblocks, you know, from hospital red tape about HIPAA and things like that. There's always like this fear that if if like parent to parent advice, what if it's wrong, you know, and so when you, when you sanction it from the hospital, that's where it gets um, yeah. tricky. Like our administrators get all fussy about it. Right. Um, but um, but that's like our dream here would be to be able to have like a separate waiting room on the days we have clubfoot clinic mm-hmm. and like that on the days that it's not a clubfoot clinic and say it's like a developmental hip dysplasia clinic where everyone's in these yeah. harnesses. It's another like type of brace yeah. that's miserable to wear. Yep. And it's so hard on the family. So we were like, we kind of want to create the like, the infant age treatment group clinic where, mm-hmm. you know, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, maybe it's clubfoot and on Monday and Friday, it's baby hip. And, you know, Wednesday is something else, but mm-hmm. where it's just a much more like quiet infant friendly, breastfeeding friendly, diaper changing friendly space where families can see each other on the day. And, yeah. um, that might be like what we can get the hospital to commit to more than right. like sharing information and advice between exactly. families. But, yeah. um, but I think that's where someone like you comes in you know, in a way that you're doing this, like as a third party, which I think mm-hmm. takes a lot of that stress from the hospitals, um, out of the equation. Um, yeah, yeah there's always that nervousness. From yes, the- for sure. And I think it's understandable from our end as parents, we get that. Um, so it's more of this trying to do what you can and then us 
as a community outside trying to do what we can to help create kind of a well-rounded system for parents. Exactly. What do you wish all parents knew about clubfoot treatment? Um, you know, I, I, the problem, I think, as I mentioned before, I, it is, there's so much to learn over the course because the issues on day, you know, 14 are not the same concerns or questions or information that you need when the child is seven. And so, you know, as much as I wish we could, like, you have a baby born with a club foot and we give you like a microchip in your brain and you know everything you need to know, like, it just doesn't work that way. So I think it's, um, I think it would be, you know, to have someone, whether it's the surgeon, another healthcare provider, um, even a family, just someone that you can talk to throughout the process and creating that support for yourself, I think is, is really important. Um, we have noticed like one of the other research projects uh, that I did was, um, cause I do a lot of prenatal counseling. So when the families learn on a, an ultrasound that their child might have a club foot, then um, their OBGYN will refer them to me. And then we'll have like, it used to be in person. Now it's on the phone, of course, with yeah. COVID. But I actually find the phone works better because people can be at work and have their prenatal appointment. Yeah. But we go over, you know, what's a club foot? Um, what's going to happen when the baby's born? What does the treatment look like? Um, I go into a bit of detail about the long stuff, but I don't put a lot of emphasis because there's so much information mm -hmm. that, and, and people are stressed out when they learn this. So I think overwhelming with like information of something they need to know in seven years is just a little over the top, but we have like information you know, handouts, PDFs. So after we finish the call, my assistant emails them a summary um, as well. And mm -hmm. so um, what we found with these prenatal conversations actually um, is that families are um, actually have a, a lower risk of recurrence when they learned about clubfoot prenatally mm -hmm. um, and that they even have a lower like anxiety level, um, which, which is, purely subjective in the sense we asked parents periodically, like how stressed out they are. So it's not like we're giving them like formal mental yeah. health services, but, um, but the scores are, are better when they've had prenatal counseling. Mm -hmm. um, everybody got better after the first in-person visit, like no matter whether you'd had a prenatal diagnosis, but no counseling or didn't know at all, everyone got better after the first visit, but there was a continued improvement in anxiety that was seen more in the prenatal counseling group. Um, we, we definitely see, uh, you know, anxiety levels rise anytime something unexpected happens, a pressure sore, cast slip, a relapse, obviously it goes up. Um, but they do come down with, you know, education and management. So, um, I, I think the, the bottom line I think is, you know, get information, have a good support and be ready for it to be a bit of a roller coaster now and then, but know yeah. your team is going to be with you. And with each issue that comes up, like we will address it. Um, but it, it's, it's not necessarily always going to be the textbook case. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that's probably been something I've noticed that a lot of the social media perspectives that parents might come in with and they're like, yeah, but so-and-so had this, or this doesn't happen. Like, according to this, this doesn't happen. And it's like, well, no, actually it does, but it just doesn't always make it out onto mainstream, you know, media outlets. So, um, just being, being, um, having a good team and then just being ready to learn along the way with us. I think those are probably the, the two things, but 
the prenatal counseling really does seem to work. Good. Yeah. I think that connection, it would be interesting to be able to connect parents who find out about their diagnosis in utero, right? And do the prenatal counseling to connect with a parent who's already going through it. I know that that would have been like super helpful for me, obviously not on the hospital end because you can't give any, but you know, this piece of, um, being able to find a support system, I think is just, you're right. Like, so, so crucial. And I have like my little group that we all kind of went through the same thing together and without them, I don't know. I mean, they were a lifeline for me. So. Oh, that's yeah. yeah. I mean, that is a really interesting idea that I, I certainly wouldn't be um, opposed to trying to figure out here. Um, I mean, I think there, there are some families, like you said, you're like a people person you want to, like, there are some families who are just more willing to want to do that and take the time. So probably I would almost think of it on our end, like maybe we have like a half dozen patient advocates or something like that, you know, or parent advocates. And those could be people where we send a message to the six and say, Hey, we have a new parent, anybody free to chat with this parent, um, as opposed to maybe like, um, trying to always do one-to-one matches and things like that. I wonder if that's like a way we could create it with less burden to any one individual perhaps. Um, cause yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there's so much to learn from each other and just like we as physicians need support. I think you guys (laughs) need support and everyone as a human needs support. So I know, but that's a great idea. Yeah. I really think that would be a really interesting idea to be able to kind of access this resource and kind of send out a like, Hey, there's a new person. Is anybody available to talk? And then being able to even just meet once, it doesn't have to be like this long-term thing, but just be able to answer questions, calm the person down, be able to, you know, um, especially right after you find out, because there is a lot of like unknown, especially if you have no experience with it. A lot of people with clubfoot kids end up having some sort of experience with clubfoot, but you know, with these, some, they don't. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You're right. The range of knowledge um, and experience with it is um, so broad and, and and sometimes parents are experienced with other medical conditions. So they're kind of like, okay, one more thing, but it's not, um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, and like you said, it's just, it's a bit hard to get the right information and, um, the OBs try, like I see their summaries of their explanations to the family sometimes, but yeah. I know if I read that, I'd be like, oh, what? Well, yeah, <laughs> I know with ROB, she was a new person and she was like, I just Googled the treatment and I was like, okay. Yeah. And she's like, but you don't Google anything. And I'm like, okay, okay how do I find out any information if I'm not allowed to Google anything and you don't know because you had to Google. So let's like, how do I, you know, find really good information without it? Um without being like super overwhelming, right? It's a balance for sure. So I ask everybody this in in the questions. Um, What, do you have like a standout kind of special moment for treating your clubfoot cuties? Like a moment that you were like, okay, it doesn't have to be anything specific, but just even during your training or during a family, like just kind of a memorable or surprising moment that stuck with you. Well, um, I mean, I think, I think I can think of a couple of patients in every 
sort of area that I've worked or place that I've worked that that stand out. Um, I um, I think here there was uh, a patient who came to me um, with a condition excuse me, called arthrogryposis, which means that they have multiple joint contractures at multiple different levels in their limbs. Um, mm -hmm. So club foot alone doesn't count because they're at the same level, foot and foot. But if they have hand contractures and foot contractures and hip contractures, then they, they start to be in this category of arthrogryposis. And these are some of the hardest club feet to treat. They, they recur very, very easily. They, for the most part, need surgery. They're, they're a very different category. But um, when I moved here, um, this girl who was already 11 um, had almost untreated club feet, even though she'd lived in North America her whole life. She'd had some casting in tenotomy, I think twice, but like her feet just never, they, they she looked like she was on point, like a ballerina. Wow. Um, and um, when I first looked at her, you know, I've since had open conversations with, with her family about it. But when I first looked at one of those feet, I thought, oh my gosh, like, I actually don't know if this is reconstructable. Like this might like for her to have the best function might be a prosthetic. Like this is crazy. Like her feet are so extreme, mm -hmm. but, um, it was very clear that like they were, you know, they just needed a little hope and a little someone to say, well, there's an option. Like they had been gone from doctor to doctor to doctor. And everyone was like, uh, just wait till you're done growing and we'll do something. And they're like, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. So when I met her, I, um, I tried something that, um, my, uh, mentor, um, Dr. Mosca had been, had shown me in, um, young kids with arthrogryposis where, um, sometimes you just, they're so stiff, you can't get the casting to work. But if you just release a couple of tendons, including the Achilles, you can actually like get a little movement now in the foot and then the casting actually works. So I thought, okay, well, she's 11, she's not 11 days, but, yeah. um, what if I just release through some tiny incisions, like some of the really, really tight, tight tissues. And then we start casting. Cause I even tried casting with her first and nothing moves. And she was starting to get pressure sores. So I was like, okay, let's try this. And I was like, I don't know if this will work. Like, mm -hmm. and no doubt we're still going to need to do some sort of surgery after, mm -hmm. but at least, um, you know, we could maybe get part of the deformity corrected with casting and then whatever surgery you need is going to be less. I had no idea if it would work. Mm -hmm. Um, we, like on her more mild foot, we got such an impressive result with that, that I only needed to do a couple fine tuning surgical procedures. And that foot now is like gorgeous, brace free, stable, oh. flexible. The other foot was more severe and the ankle joint had been quite, um, it was already quite smooshed. Uh, it didn't move well, even before we started, but I was able to fix the foot part of her deformity with this sort of small surgery and casting. And then to make her ankle straight, we her ankle really didn't move. So it was already essentially like fused stuck in place. So I just did a, a proper ankle fusion to put it in the right place. Um, even though she wouldn't have motion at that ankle, she didn't have it in the first place, but at least now the foot was in the right position and stiff. So, um, we, and now she's brace free on that foot too. So mm -hmm. now she's 13, she's brace free with feet flat to the ground. And I mean, we, we really, like I've, I searched my, the back ends of my brain, you know, to see how wow. we could make this without any extremely heroic surgeries. And we succeeded. And, um, and I think sometimes that's sort of the thing with clubfoot is, you, you know, like I said, there's no real recipe book. You need to sometimes think outside the box 
for that foot in that particular person. And I, I even used like her foot deformities were so wacky. I actually 3d CT'd her, her foot and made used a software with one of my engineers to like better understand the shapes of her feet digitally so that I could create the best surgery for her. Um, and even did it like custom guides to cut the bones in the perfect place for her in surgery. Like we really went all out to try to make this as perfect for her as we could, but yeah, like sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta, you know, go, go outside the box. And, and for this young lady, it it worked out, you know, really well. So, um, you know, that's awesome. Hopefully there'll be more, more kids like that, that we can help that look like they have really like tough situations and good answers for that you kind of go above and beyond to really help out. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 And so they were such a good family. Like, you know, she was 11 years old and I did like, you know, 12 serial casts on an 11 year old. Like, you know, she, she was all equally part of the team. Cause yeah, you know, right. At that age. Yeah. They're not just there. They got to be a participant. Absolutely. So if someone is listening in your area and looking for clubfoot treatment or information, where should they contact you and your team? So, um, most of our, um, we have like sick kids hospital has a patient, um, like information sort of okay. sub website called, uh, about kids health. So okay. within that website there, all of our, um, club foot information today is there. Um, okay. but in terms of getting in to see us, mm-hmm. um, any family doctor or pediatrician can make referrals. There's an online system. They'll know about it because it's provincial wide, um, that they can send referrals. And then if parents want to reach out for any questions, um, probably the best way to start is through our orthopedic clinic. And I will um, give Maureen the contact info for the show notes. Um, My assistant also can, can help um, though. um, She doesn't have necessarily the medical information you might want, but she would be a contact person, but our ortho clinic, um, the nurses would answer the phone or pass to the, the PT. So we would have lots of uh, good people on the other end of the line there to help. Um, and then hopefully, you know, in the next couple of months, we'll start getting some um, more family-friendly websites out with uh, help of MD orthopedics. And, and um, that would be another solution, um, hopefully in the coming months as well. Awesome. Great. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day, busy, and to talk with us today and and just being a guest, like the first pediatric orthopedic surgeon. So I really appreciate it. And I super enjoyed our conversation. I learned a lot. And I just want to say I'm super um, thankful for surgeons like you that are willing to kind of talk about what the parent's perspective is and how can we work together as a team, as opposed to... um, trying to kind of individually do things, but working together is so important. So I really appreciate it. And just for all the dedication that you guys do in taking so much time and energy into clubfoot treatment, it's not lost on us as parents and it's, we're grateful for it. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, We're, 
we're, um, you know, super grateful as, you know, providers for our families with Clubfoot too, because we really do develop a relationship and a team. Mm. And um, I think that's the really special thing when you, you know, it's annoying as a parent to have to go to the hospital all the time, but the, the pro is that you, you actually get to know each other and you can really build something. And for me as, as a healthcare, you know, provider, that's, that's what keeps me coming back to work every day. So it's that relationship building. Yeah. I'm always pro relationship. So exactly. Well, thank you for having me. It really is a pleasure to, to be here and, um, uh, you know, feel free to reach out anytime. Thank you so much. And as always, thanks everybody for listening. And if you like the episode, please like subscribe and share with anyone you think would be interested or the things that you typically do with podcasts, which I'm not hundred percent sure. So um, I will put the information in the show notes that Dr. Bouchard talked about so that you'll be able to get that information. And then if you ever need to get in contact with me, you can do so at my website at maureenhoff.com or at through my Instagram at clubfoot chronicle mom. Until next time. Thank you.